Well, hello and welcome back to the Will and Rob Show. My name is Will Stockdale here, as always, with my very good friend, Robert Hassler, Robert Burt Hassler, even. And maybe I'll see if I can just call you Burt for the rest of the show, see if it sticks. You're shaking your head no, okay? Well, mostly because if Kirsten hears it, she'll be mad at you, and I don't want that to happen. I appreciate you looking out for me like that. I have a great... <laughs> Team and respect for uh, Mrs. Hassler. So thanks for that. Heads up, Robert. Uh, well, like we always say, I'm a ministry associate with Ministry to State here in Washington, D.C. Robert is as well, as well as the comms director. Uh, our, our calling here through the PCA Ministry to State is to serve those serving in government. So to care for them in their ministry and their work that God has called them to here, whether that's an intern or a member or someone who works in a government agency. And so we just feel very privileged and blessed to get to do that. That allows us to do things like this and find the intersections of faith, politics, and culture and how they kind of um, speak into each other, what our Christian beliefs have to say about what we're seeing in the world. And one of the things that we're seeing in the world <clears throat> now and that we kind of want to talk about in a longer conversation is this idea of um, the church and when is it good or when is it appropriate? When should someone consider leaving the church? Uh, and with this comes other questions of church unity, a lot of church division that we're seeing, um, a lot of church, uh, um, I want to say this, I don't want to say church evils. I, I believe that our theology would prevent us from saying that if we believe that that the church is the glorious body of Christ, to borrow a phrase from a guy named R.B. Kuyper. Um, but there are evils that happen within the walls of the church and from people who are members of the church. And so we want to talk a little bit about that and, and kind of um, maybe flesh some things out. And <clears throat> we're young in ministry here, right? So Robert and I combined have a uh, seven years of ministry experience. So we're, and you're carrying the big bulk of that seven years. Uh, as I always do, right? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> in jest. Um, so we, we see this knowing, knowing our perspective, but also just kind of things maybe that concern us and that we think need to be addressed. So, uh, Robert, I just want to kick it over to you. And, and, you know, what are you seeing in this terms of unity, division, the church, and the appropriateness of leaving the church? Yeah, I mean, this is a really important question right now, mostly because I think a lot of folks are probably familiar at this point with the ex-evangelical movement. For those of us who aren't, though, what, what is that? Right. So there's been a lot of energy in the last year or so, maybe even extending beyond that uh, to what's called you know, deconstructing your faith. And this was something that was happening a lot in evangelical circles mostly as a response uh, to a couple different things. Uh, obviously, there are the cases of uh, sexual abuse that have happened in the church, which are horrible and evil. And we talked about uh, one such case of that, like Ravi Zacharias uh, on this podcast. Uh, there's also, I think, what has really been talked about since the 2016 election, which is a sort of syncretism between small C conservative Christian churches and their congregants alignment with uh, the Trump presidency or the Trump, can Trump as a candidate, specifically uh, as it relates to uh, what some deemed as uh, a campaign that was inadmissible for Christians to support. And so I think that because of those sort of 
twin phenomenons was going on. You could also, I think, maybe lump in with related to the Trump thing, which is now sort of taken its own uh, step to maybe even be its own third category, which is, you know, the church's response to matters of uh, racial reconciliation, particularly in the wake of uh, the death of George Floyd. And so uh, kind of because of these three things, uh, there's been a lot of energy within evangel evangelical circles of what's called exvangelicalism, which is people leaving the evangelical church, uh, either for uh, similar evangelical congre congregations that are deemed better on these issues than, than maybe the churches that they came from, uh, or even sort of a push into uh, more mainline Orthodox Catholic denominations uh, because of their, you know, being better at these kind of things than evangelical uh, churches. And there's a lot of discussion about sort of thin versus thick discipleship that's going on in these churches. There's a discussion of, you know, the, the mission of these churches and, you know, is the church on mission? And uh, I think because of all those kind of things, it's, it's really important to sit down and, and have a conversation about the church and then uh, unity, because it, I think that there's something to be said that at least in my at least in my lifetime, I've never heard people talk about you know the fracturing fracturing of the evangelical church as much as I have uh, in the last couple of years. I mean, is that something that you've heard a lot about in sort of your oh, experience? Oh, absolutely. I, I think that the place where we are right now in terms of division and people leaving evangelical church and, um, is is unprecedented, which is an overused word right now. Uh, but, but I, but going into what you just said, the evangelical church, I think sort of represents maybe in my mind, one of the, the points of discussion here, which is that, what do we mean by the church? Like, what, what does that mean? Are we talking, you know, that, I think that's a big question. And then, you know, a lot of this stuff, when it comes to evangelicalism as, as a term, you know, the evangelical church, again, I would, you know, I would kind of ask, like, does such a thing exist? You know, is there such thing as you know the evangelical church? I, I think that's a, a question worth exploring because it's certainly not, at least in my from my perspective, uh, necessarily uh, a historical movement that goes back you know very far. So I, I think those are kind of two questions uh, that we have to sort of begin and parse out before we can even kind of dive into other stuff. Yeah, and maybe giving away the uh, the ending here. When I said leave the church, what uh, I was saying, and we'll speak theologically clearly here, is leaving a local congregation. Hmm. More specifically, there's the, the quote, uh, one cannot have God as their father who does not have the church as their mother. Hmm. And the idea is that if we are Christians, we are members of the church. We are members of the holy, apostolic, universal Catholic church. That is there, and that is what we're part of, regardless of our membership status. That is where we belong. That is the community to which we belong. Now, that doesn't mean membership doesn't matter. We're Presbyterian, so of course we think that this <laughs> matters very much. But you know that big umbrella idea that hey, um, we talked about this last week. We are saved, imputed Christ's righteousness individually, and we are brought in corporately, covenantally into a community. So there are both of these things that are existent. So it's, it's one thing to leave a local congregation, but we must remember that we are always a member of this universal Catholic church. That, is, that goes all the way back 
Some would argue to Adam and Eve as the first people God had called out to himself and continues going on. So this question of leaving the church is one, uh, leaving your local church is a pretty serious one. And you had mentioned, um, and we'll say this, we'll get there eventually, but I mean, there, there are definitely legitimate reasons for this. Um, but there are a lot of other a posture of humility that I think we need to take into our, our membership within a church. But you'd mentioned unity. Uh, you know, as we think about what, what are the bases of, of unity in the church? Yeah, I mean, this is a question I've been spending a lot of time studying I don't want to like give too much of a, a sneak peek, but I'm working on a, on a new project, hopefully to be released in the fall, uh, where we'll be spending a lot of time talking about unity, uh, because unity is a huge issue. I mean, not only in the, the New Testament, I mean, Paul obviously is writing a lot about unity, uh, but it's also a big issue for the early church, uh, for such writers as like uh, Clement, Ignatius, uh, others. I mean, unity is, is a huge issue. And I think we need to differentiate between, you know, unity, you know, as a theological term and as a theological construct. And then we need to see how the early church fathers thought unity best demonstrated like practically or pragmatically. And what's really interesting is that, you know, a lot of Christians are really familiar with, you know, Paul's theological understanding of unity as pictured in such imagery as, as the body. Uh, you know, First Corinthians comes to mind, I think, really quickly for people um, uh, that the, the body is one, but has many, many members, Jesus is the head. And I think, you know, it's really easy to sort of just, you know, default to that understanding. And I, I think that's good. We should do that. Uh, what's really interesting is that for a lot of the early church fathers, uh, unity was best demonstrated, like publicly, visibly in ecclesiology. Uh, it was demonstrated in the way that uh, members fit into their local church context, how that local church context fit in relationship to uh, its church authorities, and then how those church authorities related to uh, the higher church authorities. So going all the way up to the bishop, you know, so even Ignatius in his letter to the Ephesians is basically defining unity by, do you listen to your bishop? And, you know, if you don't, you're not really unified. And I think that that's a really interesting idea for Americans in 2021 to consider because I think we have really, at least at least a, a trend that I can notice or put my finger on, is the sort of democratizing spirit of the age, uh, of church authority being somewhat uh, out of step with our modern sensibilities about uh, individual freedom, individual liberty, individual even faith. I mean, the whole idea of, uh, you know, a very personalized Christianity cannot, it, it makes it difficult to leave room for church hierarchical structures. And of course, I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that church hierarchical structures have been abused in recent history. I mean, it's in our memories. And so to sort of revert back to it seems somewhat old fashioned and maybe even perhaps dangerous. Yeah. So let's, let's go there. Right now, you mentioned abuses in church hierarchy. You mentioned, and as you're saying that, I'm reminded of the book C.S. Lewis wrote, his Reflections on the Psalms, and he talks about the imprecatory Psalms. And he makes kind of a, a side note. He writes this not as a scholar of Hebrew poetry, but he writes this as someone who is more of a classicist and studying medieval literature. But he says, 
you know, one thing that he detects in the imprecatory psalms, the imprecatory psalms are the ones that are calling down curses on their enemies. And he mentions like the, the, the psalm that talks about smashing babies against rocks, right? This is a pretty horrifying imagery. And he said, you know, regardless of how we choose to interpret this, one thing that we, we do know and we do see is that when people are assaulted, affronted, when they are made to feel, when their dignity as image bearers is taken from them, they will act in ways that are reflective of that dignity being taken away. And that they will, if we treat people as subhuman, a lot of times they'll respond in ways that subhuman. Now as Christians, obviously we are called to, to continue to behave as followers of Jesus, as the image of God, regardless. But there, there is some connection there and there's some, some result. And so I, I want to say that to say this, you know, there's, there have been a lot of church failures and leadership, and this has resulted in people saying things, um, behaving in ways about the church broadly and making very crass accusations that I think are um, harmful and unhelpful. But that doesn't mean that something wrong wasn't done that didn't spur that on to happen. And so, uh, look, we can think of the Russell Moore letters that were leaked that came out that have exposed a lot of issues within Let's, let's be charitable here. Let's say this. I mean, within some people within the Southern Baptist Convention, mm-hmm. uh, it is to broad brush say that everybody in the SBC is like this is totally unfair. Right. Um, there are a lot of great men and women in that church, in that denomination. Um, you mentioned Ravi Zacharias. Uh, you have the Jerry Falwell thing late last yep, year. Yep, yep. Um, you, I even go back thinking about Amy Bird and her interaction, how she was treated. Um, that... You know, really, when, um, you know, these groups attack other groups, it, it may not be fair, but it does result in a way that's saying, oh, man, everybody, for example, everybody in the SBC is just an, a misogynistic racist. Um, and it's like, oh, boy, well, this isn't good. This isn't going anywhere. Right. Um, but does lead, lead people to question and lacking of trust in their leadership? For sure. Well, what's interesting is, you know, the biggest scandal, I think, in the in recent history has been the Ravi Zacharias thing. I mean, I, that was pretty, pretty awful. You could almost argue that that is a scandal though, not because of church hierarchy, but like, because there was a church hierarchy structure. I mean, one of the big things that came out was that Ravi Zacharias wasn't a member of a local church and didn't have a local pastor. And so, you know, you can almost argue that it's almost, it's proof that abuse and scandal can happen outside the church hierarchical structure as well as within it. And uh, in fact, if uh, he had been under, uh, proper leadership and proper church discipline, uh, you know, you would prayerfully hope that maybe things would have been different. But, you know, that being said, there's also still tons of cases of church abuse going on uh, in sort of proper ecclesiastical and hierarchical structures. I mean, and this is just true, you know, I think it's easy to sort of go back and say, well, this is even the case of going on in the Reformation. I mean, Martin Luther is responding to abuses within uh the church at the time. But I mean, this is even true in the Old Testament. I mean, the Old Testament is full of stories of like the, the priest class being horribly corrupt and God having to intervene to, to sort of overcome, in some ways, overcome that corruption. And so this isn't new or even somewhat surprising to a, to a degree uh, for Christians that, that the church itself uh, can be full of wolves. I mean, in fact, we're warned about it constantly in the New Testament. So uh, there's that to be said. Now, really, it comes down to the question, I think, what, what you're getting at, which is, well, when, when should someone leave their local church congregation? And I, I think it's safe to say that, like, 
scandal and abuse is, is to me, a perfectly valid reason uh, to leave one's church, uh, depending on a whole host of circumstances, uh, namely the way that the church handles it in a disciplinarian way uh, and, and what have you. Um, but I think that those would be qualified reasons. What I, what I don't think is necessarily um, valid is to say, uh, you know, this abusive or scandalous thing happened, therefore I'm, I'm out on Christianity. I, I, I'm leaving the faith. That's, that's where we need to be very careful when we, when we talk about stuff like deconstruction. Yeah, I think you're right. Absolutely. And this is where um, church, church courts come up and where, look, um, as pastors, there's a high calling. Why, as G.K. Chesterton has said, part of the reason people have been so disappointed by, by Christians, by Christianity, is that its claims have been so lofty. The truths to which it holds, the, the heights to which it seeks to reach are so high that when it fails, it, it is an awful long fall, a lot further than other um, let's, I, I don't want to call the church is not just an institution, right? It is unlike anything else in the world. It, it is the glorious body of Christ. It is Christ's body here on earth, his hands and feet, uh, but it is an institution as well. Um, well, so- well and I, I guess one thing I would want to add here, I, I'm, it's kind of coming to my mind now. Um, and I want to say it before I lose it, which is that, um, the best way that we can equip and, encourage pastors to employ the tools of church discipline that that we have given them is to be more committed church members right it, it, one of our friends was saying this the other day in a meeting we were having church discipline seems to sometimes fail in the local church context because the person who is being needs to be brought under discipline isn't connected to the pastor in any meaningful way beyond seeing them for a couple hours on Sundays. And so this idea that the the pastor can then come in and and discipline this person, either bar them from the communion table, or in fact, you know, bar them from service because of, you know, you know, abuse or scandal, uh, uh, you know, that member can't actually be brought under discipline and, and justice served because that person just leaves because they're not, they're not really connected, uh, and, and joined to the church in any meaningful way. Uh, and I, I think sometimes, in some ways, this can be on the you know, on the congregations because uh, if the pastor feels like any sort of step that uh, either uh, in any sort of meaningful way gets the you know half the congregation against him or 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 what have you, then he then he'll sort of lose the the following of of, of his of his people. You know, I, I see this a lot when it comes to something like COVID, which was. In some ways, church leadership was like sort of hamstrung in order to implement COVID policies because it was like, well, if we do this thing, then like we'll leave, we'll lose like half the congregation. And then it really comes down to the question, well, how does that congregation view church authority and church leadership? Does like the church leadership have the authority to set, you know, the COVID policy or is it, is it a congregation thing? I mean, and you had this constant wrestling because you have people who uh, are advocating for a certain church polity in a, in a, within a system that doesn't support that. You know what I mean? Like you can't be congregationalist and Presbyterian in some ways, like it's just, it doesn't work. And so, so even something is sort of, for lack of a better term, benign as like COVID-19 policies sort of demonstrated the fact that, you know, if, if, church, if pastors can't get people to follow them on these sort of basic policies and procedures, how could they possibly ever implement church discipline if people aren't even there? Does that make sense? 
Yeah. I mean, I think what you're saying is the, the shepherding element of pastoring is so essential that we're seeing. And that includes ruling for the PCA, we'll say elders and full-time staff pastors, that both of those are needed in the local church to care for the congregation, that they need to be invested in their lives. And, and I think, again, as we think about um, as people are getting back in person, as people are slowly being more willing to meet back in person, the the emphasis is going to be on pastors pastoring uh, beyond Sunday of being able to get reconnected with the flock of getting reconnected with the people in the pews and caring for them. And, and to go back to the, the issue of abuse, the pastor needs to be involved in their congregation closely in order to sniff out the wolves that are in sheep's clothing, need to be close and know what's going on. I mean, in some instances, you have these stories that come out and it's just people were totally oblivious. Let's say it wasn't the senior pastor, but there was just so much removed there that there wasn't any knowledge of what was going on. And um, some of that seems like it could have been prevented. Now, not everything will be preventable, of course, but like there is more, I think, that could be um, prevented by a more intimate connection between the congregation and the pastor. And it, it is a lot of work, right? Especially if a 500 person congregation, but that doesn't mean that it... Um, doesn't need to happen still, that there doesn't need to make sure that there's some way that people are being fed and discipled and taught and instructed and, and, and connected to their pastoral staff. I mean, that's going to be a very needed thing. Well, so, you know, we've talked about abuse and scandal, and I think I would have a hard time finding or thinking of anybody that might disagree with the idea that, you know, if you've been emotionally, physically, spiritually abused in a church, you know, that, you know, you should have light, you know, you have license to go join another church. I don't think anybody would really question that. Maybe more controversial are the topics of like, let me ask you this. Should someone leave their local church uh, over a disagreement about politics or uh, social issues or cultural issues? Yeah. I mean, it's tough to answer that yes or no. I would say this, and this is where Another element of beauty comes in. What are we unified around? We are unified around Jude 3, the faith once for all delivered to the saints. What is that? If that is being taught from the pulpit, if that faith delivered is being dealt and followed faithfully, then if you end up disagreeing what you think the pastor's politics are on a certain issue, that doesn't seem to be fair. Now, if that is being... Uh, Compromise, and I don't just mean compromises in like, well, you're not hammering home, you're not talking enough about CRT, or you're not talking enough about white nationalism. I'm not talking about that, but I'm saying polluted um, with something else. Um, that's more cause for concern, but that involves the the congregation, Christians, knowing what they what what we believe, knowing this truth that we hold, and from there. Um, you know, I was talking to actually our boss about these kind of things. And he says, you know, pastors don't really like it when someone comes to them and says, uh, you know, you're doing all this wrong. See you later. Cause they're like, okay, well, like, what was the point of this meeting? I, I don't even have a chance to respond to this. I don't, I don't even have a chance to try to fix like maybe a very valid point. Uh, you're just here to like throw a bomb and go. Um, but to, to have this constant, like, dialogue and interaction like hey so why are we doing this well i see that we're focusing on this and not this um we would do well probably all not to like act like the sky is falling uh, every time we we hear and i'm speaking to myself as well for sure that every time we hear something pulpit that we don't like or don't hear enough of something that we would like to hear we would do well not to act like the sky is falling um 
Yeah. This means understand like what is, what is a sermon? Who is the church? What is a faithful teaching? Where is going too far? Um, and uh, so in answer to leave over politics, I mean, that's a long winded answer to the, to say, I have no idea other than um, if, if there's a compromise with Christianity that it needs to be brought up to the pastor because the pastor has a responsibility for God in the end. To yeah. Teaching. Yeah. I mean, I think you're getting at what I tend to think about when it comes to these questions, which is, it's sort of like the lawyer answer, which is, well, it depends. And I guess the, the thing it depends on is, uh, is, is the church clear on what it is in its mission? And, you know, I, I was thinking about this in context of a, of a piece that went somewhat viral uh, uh, through mere orthodoxy. Uh, it was a couple of days ago. It's called the six, six way fracturing of evangelicalism. And one of the lines I think in there that was really interesting, which is that the reality is that while many in the evangelical movement thought their bonds were primarily or exclusively theological or missional, many of those bonds were actually political, cultural, and socioeconomic. Uh, and he sort of paints a picture of a future of evangelicalism where it's less denominational and it's more uh, cultural. It's more this idea that you fit in with churches, not necessarily because you agree with their confessions and standards or church polity, but more because they sort of sound like you, talk like you, look like you, um, as it relates to, you know, insert any cultural topic. And, you know, that's an interesting thesis. We, we don't probably have time to sort of tackle every element of it, but I, I think there is something to be said about, you know, spending time in a local church you know, a, a decent time. I'm not talking like, like what you said, it can't just be the first time you hear something from the pulpit that you're like, mm, I don't know about that. You're starting to, you know, raise the alarm bells and you're shopping for a new church. I mean, we've got to be very patient and faithful in these kind of things uh, and recognize when the, when the pastor is properly pushing you to something that you're uncomfortable with. Uh, and then again, also making sure that, Hey, is this a church that is really clear about what it is, what it does and more importantly, maybe what it does not do. Uh, and I think understanding that is going to require a much stronger and robust vision of ecclesiology uh, and church history, church tradition, uh, than maybe has, that we've really emphasized in the past. Yeah. You sent me, actually, another friend sent me that piece. I thought it was, I mean, it was good. It was, it was finally written. I thought it was kind of curious, though, in, in some of the things um, that were there for one, I didn't think that all of the taxonomy was very clear as to what distinguished one group of evangelicals from the other. Um, and the other is it was so based on more sociological, cultural, political elements than it was theological at all. I mean, it was, it was all either set up in like, hey, we're encouraged by the cultural forces or like we're really concerned by the cultural forces but it wasn't rooted in this Christian, which, you know, original evangelicalism, when you go back to the early 18th century, when it was really, well, you could trace it back arguably to Martin Luther, you know, it was the first evangelical. But when you go to the 18th century and you look at this, there were, you know, these five elements that evangelicals were centered around. And the closest thing that was really highly emphasized in this article was activism, but activism for the early original evangelicals in 
in Europe, Western Europe were um, missions and missionary societies. It was it was really really focused on religious experience. Uh, it was focused on particular doctrine um, and this kind of this net that brought people together in these specificities. And it, it wasn't nearly as much about like cultural issues first. I mean, that really was downstream. You can read the rise of evangelicals by uh, Mark Knoll wrote, there's like a four or five volume series and he wrote the first one. I think Bevington's actually the editor for it, but you can, you know, you can read this and see it. There were certainly issues that the evangelicals did, did you know, fight against. Um, but again, it was downstream from their really core beliefs. And I don't know if I see that as much as um, existent right now. I see it more as maybe like parallel streams or like even worse, puddling together into one where they're, they're on the same footing. Um, and I, I don't think that does people of service. What we do in this world is important. R.C. Sproul, right? kind of like the gladiator thing, but I think you said it before, you know, basically what we do right now echoes in eternity. Our, our right now matters forever. This uh, thing R.C. Sproul would say a lot. And so that's absolutely true. Whether we're working, uh, you know, on the Hill for a nonprofit, for a business, um, stay-at-home mom, whatever it is, you know, these things matter, but they're, they come out of our deep relationship with Jesus. They come out of a, a deep doctrinal understanding of us being adopted and and the Great Commission, the cultural mandate, all these things. And I, um, yeah, I, I, I guess I just, when, when, they're, when they're conflated or puddled so closely, I just, I wonder if, if the emphasis is being placed strongly enough on these clear, true beliefs, because if not, you know, you start getting to the fray points. And when pastors like say that like, you know, this one issue done this one way is what's most important for our church. It's like, oh boy, man, y'all are, we're getting really far afield here of what you can be certain of. And uh, that is not the, not the, you know, I'm not putting my chips down there. Yeah, no, I think that's exactly right. There was a, uh, someone attached a test uh, to that, sort of attached to that article that you could, you could take the, you know, fill out these questions and it would tell you sort of where in the quadrant you fell. And I remember at one point I got to one of the questions and it was like, essentially, the church, the church should think about immigration this way. And it had like four categories. And the only thing I could think of when I saw that was like, this seems to be really down the line of matters of concern for the church. Like why? And we're not talking about like the church should not care for the immigrant and the sojourner or the church should care, but we're talking about like the church should support this policy proposal. It's like, well, this seems to be pretty far down the line matters of concern for the church is if we're debating immigration policy I mean that that seems to be something that should not be right as a marker that's yeah. the thing it's not like can Christians disagree for sure but like when it becomes a marker for the test it, I mean you're, you start really dividing people unnecessarily right I don't have much more to add here in terms of these questions I think that as as we're looking at the state of Christendom in America, there, there's a lot to be saddened by and, con and, and concerned by. There's uh, scandals, there's abuse uh, that needs to be pushed back against as we push back against the darkness, calling a spade a spade, but not just like, <laughs> not just doing it on Twitter, by actually wherever we can doing something. Praise God, I don't have an instance around me right now where that's something I can really speak into, like just 
thankfully, you know, uh, I'm not dealing with something like that. I'm sure a lot of people are around us, though. There's a lot of really good having. There's a lot of really faithful men and women who are serving the Lord and uh, are holding fast to a God who holds fast to them. And so, um, you know, in questions of when should we leave the church, I think we need to understand what the church is, what we've been called into, and what our role is here, and what pastors are responsible to their flock for, to feed them, yes, weekly, and to make sure they're being discipled and cared for and uh, nurtured and grown up um, as faithful men and women. Um, so uh, I'm Will Stockdale. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at, at Stockdale Will. You can follow Robert at R.D. Hassler. And we look forward to seeing you all. Well, having you hear us next week. We don't actually see you next week. <laughs>